Uh, welcome to Pathways to Energy Efficiency, uh, AEEE Production. Um, I'm Jayant, your host today. Uh, today in episode six of our podcast, I'm joined by Mr. Tarun Garg. Uh, Tarun is presently working as program lead at AEEE. Uh, he's having work experience of more than 12 years in leading and managing a portfolio of projects in India, Asia and Africa of the building sector, which comprises the commercial and residential buildings, green cooling, greening of smart cities, industrial parks, and standard and labeling of appliances. During our discussion today, uh, we'll be talking about cold chain development in India. So welcome, Tarun, uh, to our podcast, and we are great. We're really happy to have you here. And before we start, we request you to tell our audience about your journey and how your interest in climate and clean technology developed. Thank you, Jayanta. Thank you for giving this opportunity. And uh, uh, so I began my journey in 2008 uh, in Terry, the Energy and Resources Institute. And uh, I think uh, at that time, uh, I would say energy efficiency or climate change was still something, you know, uh, uh, sort of a buzzword and people used to talk about it, but they were not aware of it, actually. Uh, and a lot of people, especially, you know, people who have graduated from colleges, are not aware of climate change or energy efficiency at all, I would say. And it, you can say it's, it's my love that from college, I went to Terry. And when I joined Terry, I realized uh, I realized the potential of climate change and uh, energy efficiency in particular uh, towards, you know, um, towards ensuring a uh, livable planet for all of us and for our future generations. So it began in, uh, in 2008. And then I spent almost eight years in Terry where uh, I started with building energy audits and then uh, moved to policy formulation and implementation. So I think in Terry, it gave me a lot of uh, perspective, a lot of uh, background about energy efficiency and climate change. And uh, it really helped me to understand the sector, especially the building sector. Uh, you know, how building sector can facilitate India's movement towards, uh, uh, you know, combating the climate change or global warming. Uh, then I moved to PwC, where it was more of a you know, global profile, looking at the work I, I was doing in Terry, uh, but at a larger scale and, and the country level, maybe in uh, India, Africa and Asia. And then I think one, one of the reasons of joining AEEE was uh, was to again further, you know, uh, uh, broaden up the uh, horizons in terms of adding cold chain, agriculture, vaccines into my profile. And uh, so far in uh, the time I spent uh, here in AEEE, three years, I've been able to, uh, you know, you can say uh, with the support of the team, I've been able to uh, look at, especially the agriculture part, cold chain, uh, cold chain piece from climate change perspective and how, uh, you know, we always talk about uh, thermal comfort for all and thermal comfort for, for human beings. But I would say uh, food, nutritional food for all, not food for all. Nutritional food for all is as important as thermal comfort for all. So that's why this whole uh, element of cold chain becomes very important. And, uh, you know, I will discuss during this podcast, cold chain uh, will be very integral to ensure the nutrition of food for all and how we can ensure uh, sustainable, you know, development of the required cold chain in India, uh, you know, uh, in the near, uh, for the next five years or 10 years. So that's, uh, according to me, will be very important uh, uh, for all of us to do that. I think uh, these are some of the reasons uh, I would say my, uh, you can say it's, it's, it covers my journey from over the last uh, 30, 14 years in this sector. Thanks, Tarun. Uh, fascinating journey and so relevant in today's time. Uh, so we'll come to our first question. Uh, so why don't you tell us 
about uh, the journey from farm to fork uh, for any producer in India and the importance of cold chain? Uh, so I will start with the definition. And according to National Center for Cold Chain Development, uh, a cold chain is a temperature control environmental logistic chain, ensuring uninterrupted handling of products from source to user, consisting of storage and distribution related activities in which the journey is maintained within predetermined ambient parameters. Cold chain as such does not alter the essential char uh, characteristics of the produce or product handled and primarily offers two basic functions, namely preserving a product's quality and enhancing the product's life. Uh, going further into uh, a, a bit more about cold chain, the use of either function depends upon the type of product. So for an example, for certain type of products, a cold chain function is to only preserve the quality and state of the produce by maintaining predetermined ambient parameters such as temperature and humidity. Uh, you know, uh, just to elaborate upon it, so this is true for ice creams, meats, most processed foods, vaccines, many chemicals and plastics, electronic goods, etc. However, in case of uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, the cold chain has a broader function of enhancing produce life. So to cater to this, cold chain infrastructure needs to be more uh, needs to offer a more precisely uh, controlled environment in terms of humidity and microbial conditions uh, such as oxygen levels uh, as well as degenerative gases and segregation to avoid uh, tainting between living issues in addition to maintaining uh, precise temperatures. So the flow of produce in a typical cool chain starts at the farm level, uh, you know, where the produce uh, gets harvested. Uh, from farm, it goes to a packhouse. Uh, from pa so packhouse uh, is the first step in the cold chain uh, in the cold chain infrastructure and a key element of the value chain for produce for uh, for which uh, uh, for maintaining cold uh, for for maintaining temperature uh, is quite integral in the overall uh, overall journey. While cold chain infrastructure can preserve quality of the produce, it can reverse uh, it cannot reverse any damage or quality loss that happens before the produce reaches the first point of the cold chain. Therefore, pre cooling of the produce. At the packhouse level, it becomes integral to ensure early removal of field feed uh, as one of the critical steps for uh, you know preserving the quality and extending the shelf life of the produce. Uh, so from this context, packhouse, uh, you know, we always say packhouse is the nerve center of the entire farm to fork journey. So from packhouse, it goes to a cold storage. Uh, cold storages are located mainly at the peri-urban areas, uh, just outside uh, cities like Delhi, Bangalore or any other metro cities, and it goes via a reefer vehicle, which is nothing but a refrigerated passport. From cold storage, it either goes to a retailer or to a bandi. So retailer could be Reliance Fresh Mart, Adani, uh, Superfresh, and it could be any other, uh, uh, you know, big basket as well. Uh, or it could go to a mandi, like we have Azadpur Mandi. And from Azadpur Mandi or uh, from a retailer, it goes to either uh, you know either directly to the consumer or sometimes it goes to the you know people who are selling uh, vegetables just outside our home and then it goes to the consumer so this is in in a nutshell the farm to fork journey and in this entire journey as i mentioned packhouse uh, becomes integral and is sort of a nerve center which defines the produce quality as well as the life uh, this entire journey uh, thanks, Tarun. Uh, so, uh, you know, when we are talking really about India, what are the agriculture scenario uh, from a cold chain perspective and the issues uh, faced by the smallholder segment farmers here? So, uh, again, uh, we are given an overview of uh, uh, India's agriculture uh, uh, scenario. 
So India is the second largest producer of fruits and vegetables in the world. The country's horticulture produce uh, output stood at uh, 312 million tons, uh, you know, in 2017-18, of which uh, only one person was exported. So you can imagine the kind of uh, potential we have in terms of export uh, and the kind of uh, potential we have in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, the produce we are, uh, we are uh, harvesting every year. Uh, grapes, pomegranates, mangoes, bananas, oranges account for majority of food exports and onions, mixed vegetables, potatoes, tomatoes, green chilies contribute to the vegetable export basket in India. The major importers of Indian fruits and vegetables are Bangladesh, uh, uh, UAE, Nepal, Malaysia, UK, Sri Lanka, Qatar and many other countries. Uh, India is an agrarian country with more than 50% of its people directly or indirectly uh, occupied uh, or employed in the agriculture. However, the sector uh, contributes only 17% to the GDP. The share has been declining over the years, primarily due to the growth in manufacturing and servicing sectors. While agriculture growth rates and outputs have been more viable, the agriculture sector is, uh, uh, is sort of you know, hampered by some instability uh, in income due to risk involved, in, including fluctuation, uh, fluctuations in production, market demand, and prices. So you can, you can see you know, there is a lot of potential but still the contribution to GDP is low and uh, there are issues around agriculture. Now, if you look at small food farmers, 86% of uh, the total farmers which are working in India, sort of like the number is 150 million farmers. Out of this, 86% are small food farmers. Uh, you know, there are a lot, lot of issues in terms of uh, how these farmers are suffering due to inadequate cold chain. So just to give you a brief about uh, small, uh, small holder farmers, so they typically own around uh, uh, two hectares of land and they don't have any surplus crops. They generally sell at local mandis for fresh purchase and consumption. Food loss uh, is a major challenge for them. And, uh, you know, we have seen multiple reports. And as per doubling of farmer income India report, food loss is as high as, uh, you know, 35 to 40% in, uh, in case of fresh fruits and vegetables, which is a huge number. And which leads to economic distress uh, amongst farmers and it also leads to rise in greenhouse gas emissions and it also causes aggravation of national, nationwide hunger in India. Uh, and uh, there are issues related to the implementation of government policies. So prevalent government initiatives uh, doesn't always reaches, uh, reaches to or address uh, you know, the requirement of these smallholder farmers. And uh, as well as, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs right now are working towards providing solutions at the farm level or to the smaller farmers. But still, I would say this is a journey which we have embarked upon uh, maybe in the over, uh, over the last two, three years, but still a lot of work to be done. So you can see, you know, there's a potential, but at the same time, there are issues and challenges uh, around food loss and around, uh, you know, uh, the implementation of policies uh, specific to the smallholder farmers. Absolutely, Tarun. Um, so, you know, uh, you mentioned or you have alluded to food loss in the discussion. Uh, so can you just explain the key factors contributing to food loss in India? So just to give you a brief uh, idea about the food loss. So first of all, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, so there are, there are different numbers. So as per, you know, BFI, uh, the food loss is as high as up to 40%. And uh, that is fruits and vegetables. Uh, the food loss that occurs post-harvest and before connecting to markets. So this is an important uh, line I'm as stated. Due to inadequate and inefficient polting infrastructure, is effectively a loss of uh, saleable volume, uh, saleable volume and value. 
it is therefore an economic burden on the food supply systems in addition to uh, in addition to leading to avoided energy use and direct as well as indirect ghg emissions for the country and uh, so the numbers which uh, would be interested to the uh, uh, to the listeners of this podcast will be uh, you know in terms of carbon footprint loss so it is estimated that uh, 400 million tons of co2 equivalent carbon uh, emissions will be generated by 2030 due to the ongoing or the projected food loss the economic loss is estimated at around 13.5 billion usd annually and as i mentioned smallholder farmers contribute a larger share and the reasons are lack of cooling facility solution which includes peak cooling of crops long term and short term cold storages and humidity maintenance the second factor is lack of post harvest management skills you know there are uh, there are very few people who are aware of uh, you know uh once the cold chain is also called uh, or the different components of cold chain are installed people are not skilled enough or they are not aware of uh, the technology its operation and its uh, effectiveness usage uh then third is you know uh, one of the major issues we have seen is lack of sufficient market uh, or lack of sufficient market linkages between farmers uh, smallholder farmers and the actual consumers and one of the reason is there is no adequate cold chain and that's why these people are not able to store their produce uh, which eventually leads to food loss uh, and sometimes it also leads to food waste as well so these are the three reasons uh, you know uh, which are leading to food loss uh, in india thanks tarun i think the numbers are absolutely out uh, you know uh, shocking uh, to say the least and i think everybody now understands uh, the importance of cold chain in india uh, but then what is the status of cold chain infrastructure considering the present food loss uh, in india i think this uh, this is where i would say uh, organizations like us uh, or and many other organizations working in this cold chain area has a has a tremendous opportunity to ensure we are going to develop a sustainable or a climate friendly cold chain so you know again uh, icap uh, which is based upon the numbers given by national center uh, for cold chain development icap is nothing but india cooling action plan has estimated that there is 99% gap in pack houses which is again a staggering number 99% you know we are just saying 1% of required infrastructure is built right now in india 85% of infrastructure which is required is missing uh, for refer vehicles which is nothing but refrigerated transport 91% in lighting chambers uh, so these are some staggering numbers to look at and it also gives us a you know big tremendous opportunity to frame policies regulation to ensure energy efficiency or climate change is is being centered uh, around while uh, discussing the development of these uh, different components only cold storages uh, uh, there are 91% uh, uh, which is required are already there and 9% or and the gap is only 9% however in cold storages also we have seen and we have spoke, spoken to a lot of people there is a huge opportunity to retrofit or to improve energy efficiency of these cold storages while pack houses ripening chambers refer vehicles we can design and we can ensure energy efficient and climate change uh, uh, interventions at the design stage but cold storage we can look at the uh, retrofitting part because 90 to 91% are already there so these are some of the numbers you know we from infrastructure status perspective uh, so tarun since there are you know so many components that you mentioned so can you tell the audience Uh, who are the important stakeholders responsible for the development of the cold chain infrastructure? 
So I think institutional framework governing the cold chain has three important uh, levels of organization, not levels, but uh, three important, uh, you know, you can say categories of the stakeholders. One is central government, which includes, uh, you know, I'm not naming all of them, but few major ones, uh, Ministry of Agriculture, Farmers, Welfare, Ministry of Food Processing Industries, Ministry of Commerce and Industry, and Ministry of Micro, Small and Medium Enterprises. And as we all know, you know, cold chain is, is not different. At central level, policies are being framed. So, if we are looking at uh, you know development of these pack houses or IP chambers or cold uh, uh, storages or uh, reefer vehicles, you know, can we ensure the policies which are there uh, be integrated with energy efficient or climate change interventions by either amending the existing policies or developing new policies uh, uh, with an objective to uh, ensure energy efficiency in the upcoming cold chain infrastructure. So central government agencies become important. Uh, then at the state level, uh, so implementation of any policy happens at the state level. So we have different organizations uh, responsible at the state level. So, uh, so first is uh, state horticulture mission, which is being managed by state horticulture department. So both are synonymous to each other. Then we have a lot of other organizations like, uh, you know, there is this uh, uh, regional uh, uh, representation of NABARD, regional representation of uh, National Horticulture Board, regional uh, representation of uh, various, uh, you know, uh, state agri marketing boards, as well as we have a lot of farmer producer organizations, so which are responsible for the implementation of policy which are being framed at the central level. And then there are a lot of think tanks, uh, you know, and the domain expert bodies or organizations who are supporting these ministries at the state level as well as the, at the central level. So organizations like National Center for Cold Chain Development, and I've spoken a lot about this organization in this podcast. Uh, so you can see you can see the importance of this organization. Then National Cooperative Development Corporation, uh, Agriculture and Processed Food Products Export Development Authority, APIDA. So APIDA looks at the export-oriented packhouses and almost you can say, you know, whatever infrastructure of packhouses is there in the country, I would say 80 to 90 percent uh, of integrated packhouses is being developed by APIDA. And then uh, from financing perspective, we have NABARD, National Bank for Agriculture and Rural Development. So these are some of the other bodies which are, you know, kind of supporting the implementation or even development of policies uh, which are being framed at the center level and implemented at the state level. Tarun, since, you know, there are so many, you know, different stakeholders that you mentioned and, you know, everybody knows that India comes with its own unique, uh, you know, set of challenges. So what, according to you, are the uh, unique challenges and opportunities uh, to drive sustainable cold chain development in India? So I think uh, we have heard a, a lot about uh, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, the kind of potential India has currently in, uh, from uh, uh, from cold chain development perspective, but there are challenges uh, as well as opportunities uh, which exist uh, from cold chain development perspective. So, so first is uh, you know as we have seen, cold chain infrastructure is quite fragmented across the country. So it's not easy for us to find out a well-defined cold chain, uh, you know, which which we can be proud of right now, uh, and. You know, cold storages are there, but they are also very old and quite energy intensive. So this is, so from infra perspective, so this is one of the major challenge. Then um, uh, we always look at, you know, uh, business models financing. So right now there are 
uh, I would say there are lack of financing schemes and business models to drive energy efficient or climate friendly coal chain development in India. So this is another challenge we are looking at. Then the third challenge which I've highlighted uh, uh, in this uh, podcast is uh, lack of adequate capacity and skill set available amongst different stakeholder groups. So I would not call uh, call it uh, the stakeholder group which is operating the pack house or cold storage, but uh, people who are designing the pack house or cold storage or people who are you know uh, defining policy. So uh, either they are not aware of it or not aware of energy efficiency or climate change. Or they are, they don't have the skill set to design or to operate uh, uh, the cold chain components. Uh, and the last challenge is, uh, you know, uh, I've spoken about uh, the importance of different ministries. However, one of the uh, one of the important ministry and the department which will drive energy efficiency uh, in cold chain is uh, Bureau of Energy Efficiency and the Ministry of Power. And uh, unfortunately, right now in India. Most of the agriculture departments are working in siloed nature. So this will be a challenge for an organization like Bureau of Energy Efficiency to integrate energy efficiency in the existing policies. And uh, even, you know, if they want to come up with new policies for from energy efficiency perspective, the buy-in from different stakeholders at the agriculture ministry level will be very important. And that's why. Uh, institutional, uh, you know, uh, structure will be very important, and the governance part will also become critical to ensure energy efficiency is being implemented uh, right from the policy uh, policy development uh, phase. So these are some of the challenges. Having said that, I think uh, uh, you know we have always seen if there are challenges, we will always find opportunities to work uh, to work upon it. So one is, uh, you know, uh, as I've spoken about. Can we uh, look at retrofit and modernization of existing facilities, uh, especially cold storages? So, in the past, uh, I personally have done a project which we in which we have seen a massive potential of retrofitting and modernizing a cold storage in West Bengal. So, similar kind of uh, you know uh, studies and projects can be taken up, and can we you know uh, develop design guidelines as well as operational guidelines? Uh, I'm not saying uh, regulations right now because the, that would be a far-fetched idea. But even the guidelines at the national level will really help uh, design consultants and the pack house operators, even uh, ministries, to understand uh, why energy efficiency and how energy efficiency can can uh, you know mitigate uh, the global warming uh, uh, caused due to cold chain. So this is uh, one of the biggest opportunity I would say. Then, from business model perspective, uh, can we look at you know business model which have been implemented at the uh, implemented by ESL for various appliances, uh, you know, to, to to get implemented in cold chain as well? And uh, we have seen that uh, there's a potential. Uh, even we have developed a business model with ESL for cold cold storage retrofit. Similar kind of models can be developed for pack houses, even for lightning chambers and uh, diesel vehicles as well. Uh, the third opportunity, again, which is a very big opportunity, is uh, uh, addressing the skill gap and uh, capacity development. First of all, by uh, training professionals, operators, and technicians, and then creating awareness amongst uh, amongst policymakers at the central level, policy implementers at the state level, because these are the ones; these people will be the ones who will really drive uh, energy efficient cold chain development infrastructure. At a uh, at a mass level, mass mass scale. Otherwise, you know, uh, we will do 
things uh, uh, you know on ad hoc basis at a project level so that's why awareness amongst these stakeholders will be very important and improve coordination between state department uh, to remove uh, you know uh, this uh, this uh, this working behavior where we are looking at uh, the department working in silos and uh, not coordinating with each other not understanding the requirement of energy efficiency so this could be uh, something which can be uh, which can be uh, initiated by bureau of energy efficiency but definitely uh, with the help of different uh, agricultural ministries and departments and last but not the least uh, we always uh, believe in what we see so can we you know deploy some of the energy efficient technologies or uh, can we design energy efficient pack houses or can we retrofit cold storages so that ministries design technicians and design consultants technicians operators can really look at what we are talking about and in fact atopli is is currently uh, uh, you know designing is currently deploying a solution uh, in in the state of bihar so similar kind of studies can be taken up by different stakeholders at this stage uh, of the cold chain development thanks tarun i think uh, you know i think audience would definitely now understand the kind of potential and of course the kind of unique challenges that comes uh, you know being in india uh, well, i think if you can summarize and share uh, what could be the impact of sustainable coal chain development uh, you know for everyone so i think there are uh, impacts which are highlighted but just to summarize it uh, uh, for the uh, for the listeners so one is avoided post harvest losses which is estimated at around 13.5 billion usd annually uh, i think this is somewhere close to 20% of reduction in food loss uh, then improved livelihood of 126 million small scale farmers uh, increased farmer income to reduce food loss and expanded market opportunity because once we have cold chain in place we will be able to provide these farmers a market linkage uh, uh, between the farm and the uh, and the market so that will be very important as well as once we reduce the food loss it will also add to the income income levels of these farmers and thereby it will also facilitate you know india's uh, uh, mission of doubling farmer income in a big way uh, so it will also ensure food security and enhanced quality of produce uh, and as i've discussed earlier it will also facilitate in reducing ghg emissions so it has been estimated that 400 million tons of co2 equivalent by 2030 can be saved if we if we are able to develop the required coal chain infrastructure uh, in the given amount of time and definitely it uh, supports a lot of sustainable development goals uh, in terms of uh, avoiding poverty in terms of providing you know nutritional food and uh, in terms of also provide in terms of also mitigating and uh, ensuring energy efficiency in the coal chain development so these are some of the impacts uh, you know that can be looked at uh, from coal chain development perspective uh, thanks tarun i think there's no doubt absolutely in anybody's mind uh, regarding the importance uh, i think of coal chain uh, so can you also tell us uh, about atripli's approach uh, to solve the problem of sustainable coal chain development in india so i think in we in atripli uh, uh, have defined four strategic pillars to solve this conundrum of uh, sustainable coal chain development in india so the first pillar talks about policy framework and as i spoken about in this podcast policies and institutional landscape is critical if we are going to define or if you are going to come up with new policies or amend existing policies 
so this is one and we are working very closely uh, with all the major uh, ministries department at the national level and at the state level as well to ensure you know policies uh, which are being framed can be amend those and uh, from energy efficiency perspective and can we also develop new policies or new guidelines regulations around uh, cold chain so this is first part the second pillar is uh, strategic interventions so in this uh, we are looking at you know uh, first of all as i mentioned earlier the infrastructure is quite staggered and you will not uh, it will not be easy for us to find a comprehensive or a model kind of cold chain in india and uh, i think one of the one of the important point here is we in atpli is kind of looking at holistic need assessment where we are going to map the different kind of produce uh, the cold their market when they are going to be uh, when when they are going to be consumed in terms of the uh, days uh, and uh, how many hours do we have uh, uh, from uh, from farm to from farm to the consumer uh, and then we also look at you know uh, the state the agri agroclimatic zone so this is the kind of need assessment we are looking at then we are also looking at providing evidence based solutions to demonstration projects type of projects like the project we are doing in bihar and maybe other parts of india as well and then supporting it with technocomic feasibility uh, where we are providing you know project uh, uh, return on investment uh, to someone you know who is looking at it uh, completely from business perspective you know energy efficiency is important but people may question that what is the roi of the project so that's why we are also looking at technocomic feasibility and last but not the least we are also going to develop uh sort of a monitoring and evaluation uh, uh, framework for the deployed solutions and uh, this will be very important uh, for us to look at uh, the pre uh, sort of the solutions the situation where when the solution is not installed and the solution when the when the and the situation when the solution is uh, is installed and commissioned so these are the kind of strategic interventions we are looking at that third strategic pillar is uh, business and financial uh, financial models So, in which we are looking at developing innovative business models to provide market access to small-scale farmers, and we are working very closely with the NABARD, uh, with the uh, uh, Energy Efficiency Services Limited, and with State Horticulture Mission, and with various uh, you know farmer producer organizations, uh, uh, private developers as well to come up with these kind of business models. And we are also uh, the idea is to you know make ensure scaling and and replication. of whatever we are going to implement it's not like a one off solution but the idea is to ensure scaling up the application and last but not the least uh, pillar for us is awareness and skill development and uh, you know this uh, again uh, is kind of very well aligned with atpli strategy vision and mission where we are looking at uh, creating awareness at multiple levels right from the policy right from the central ministries to the uh, to the on ground uh, operators and we are also looking at creating uh, you know knowledge knowledge i think the, the podcast we are doing is an example of that we are also looking at similar kind of series or online uh, training uh, programs or podcast or uh, you know uh, social media outreach uh, 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 kind of interventions where uh, cold chain can be you know the idea of cold chain can be shared with lot of people and people become aware of the importance of cold chain first and then energy efficiency and climate change as well so these are these are the four pillars and we are working very closely with ministries and state department as I have highlighted earlier local farmers associations technology providers owners and operators and i would say i think uh, being an industry platform 
so I would say AEEE is also utilizing uh, a lot of uh, the information or the knowledge residing with the industry members, people like Dan Foss, people like, uh, uh, you know, uh, so these kind of people are also helping us in bridging the knowledge gap that exists uh, between the farmers and the policies. So these are they, are they are providing us the relevant solutions and technologies as well as helping us in coming up with technocomic feasibilities and providing us uh, relevant uh, sort of data to analyze different kind of protein. So this is the overall approach of a uh, while looking at cold chain development in India. Thanks, Tarun. Um, so it's been a fascinating uh, discussion. And as we wrap up this conversation, um, any parting thoughts, uh, key takeaways that you uh, might think, uh, you know, would be relevant for our audience? Or, you know, what's the one thing you would love for them to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? I think I would say, Cold chain, uh, uh, so, you know, people uh, sometimes uh, misunderstand, you know, uh, the work AEEE is doing and the way we are doing. So we are not saying we need to look at energy efficiency first. We are saying, especially from cold chain perspective, we are saying let's look at cold chain first from, from the point of your farmer's income and livelihood. That's the first part. You know, if we are looking at cold chain from that perspective, I think the, our, all of all of us will say we need cold chain. The second is we are saying cold chain should be looked at from the perspective of market linkage. We have seen a lot of farmers have suffered due to inadequate cold chain because they don't have any place to store their produce. And it's not like, you know, if somebody, if some farmers has harvested 10 metric ton of fresh produce, the market is there to buy it. So he, he or she needs a place where uh, the person can store the produce. So that's why, again, cold chain becomes very important. So the first was farmer livelihood. The second part, second part is, uh, you know, uh, market linkage, which, are, which is kind of linked. The third part is food loss. You know, we have seen huge numbers around food loss, and uh, it's not. Uh, I'm not saying it's only because of cold chain, but definitely cold chain also contributes to it. So food loss can be mitigated by cold chain, and that's why cold chain becomes very important. So once I would say once we agree to these parts, these three parts, then we can say and come to the come to this point of can we have sustainable, climate friendly and energy efficient cold chain for a country like India where we are looking at more than ninety percent of infrastructure gap. So according to me, uh, this will be the my key message: farmer livelihood and market linkage, food loss avoidance, and uh, sustainable and energy efficient cold chain development. Uh, could be the way forward uh, uh, for all of us uh, in this fascinating journey towards India's, uh, you know, uh, towards India's, uh, uh, I would say, vision or mission for ensuring nutritional food for all. Thank you so much, Tarun. I think all your uh, the takeaways and thoughts really resonate, uh, I think, with me and I'm sure with most of our audience. And it was an absolute pleasure having you uh, with us on today's podcast. And I think indeed a lot of key takeaways for our audience here. And for all of you who are with us, uh, we hope you enjoyed our podcast. And be sure to subscribe and engage with us on social media. Until next time, take care and be safe. Thank you.